kind of started off slow with that praise, uh, but we got it going. Uh, God deserves the best. Amen. Uh, he deserves everything we got. He gave everything he had. There was nothing left for him to give when he died on that cross for us. We're here this morning. We're going to learn the word. Time to dig into the word and see what God has for us yes. and just see where this adventure takes us today. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your presence here today, Lord God. We just ask that you enlighten us with your word. Show us the, the mysteries, Lord God, that's hidden within that word. Open our hearts and minds and, and ears and lives, Lord God, to receive everything that you have for us. And we just thank you for this day. We just ask that your Holy Spirit just move freely throughout this building here this morning. Let your anointing flow in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 to class. Good morning, Rock Harbor. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Give me just a second here. Let me find this. This is the day, chapter 12, the day that the Lord had made. Okay, here we go. I'll use that here in just a second. All right, page 31 in our study guides. Good to see everybody here this morning. Made it through another week. <laughs> sometimes it feels like we come in like if you come into church it feels like you're like sliding in like I mean like literally like you know you just you come in you're like okay we're safe we're safe it's good to see everybody and it is good to be here um, mysteries in the revelation central truth is that John's revelation of Christ was given to reveal not to conceal the truth I want to say this up front even as a, as a teacher there's no way in the world I can teach you about all of these things that the lesson is going to bring out this morning. Amen. We, the lesson doesn't even do a very good job of teaching some of these very particular topics. And, and, and it, when you bring up particular scriptures, it automatically brings question marks. And I, I just want to say up front that in a lot of these scriptures that we're going to read, when we're done here this morning you're probably still going to have question marks. I still have question marks. It's easier for me to present it to you uh, that way and to tell you that there is a lot of information that I am still ignorant to and that I just don't simply understand fully. And so I'm not going to sit up here and give you uh, a lesson on Revelation and pretend like I know everything that's going on here. I don't. And if anybody's read the book of Revelation, if you ever spent some time doing it, I have listened to some really, really smart people on the topic. No, not me, them. Some really, really smart people on the topic, and they don't even fully understand it. So, with that said, that lays the ground rules that if you have a question, I may not be able to answer that question. And I surely am not going to present this to you like I know it all, because I don't. Okay? And I love the book of Revelation. I think it's a great um, insight into what's coming in what we're, we're, we're seeing some things unfold, but there are still more question marks than there are answers. I think that's for a reason overall. I think that's on purpose. I don't think we need to fully understand everything. If we, you've heard me say this before, I, I really do. I, I think that if we understood everything, we would take it for granted. And if there's anything that needs to be shrouded in a bit of mystery, it's the events that are going to take place in the end times. Some people may debate that. They may say, well, no there, no, there needs to be no questions. Well, first of all, the salvation and the salvation I've received comes through Jesus Christ. 
That is what I call a close-handed conversation. There's no room for debate there. My salvation comes from Christ. I've accepted Christ. I've repented of my sins. I repent of sins periodically, daily. So that's a close-handed conversation. The events that are going to take place in the end times in the 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 book of Revelation, the things that it's saying to us, I believe is what is called an open-handed conversation, meaning that you may have a particular view about it, I may have a particular view about it, but I don't think we're going to come to any vast conclusions today. I think we're going to still be kind of wonder, what does that mean? How exactly is that going to turn out? I actually, um, when COVID happened, there were some people that I listened to, Perry Stone, I listened to Perry Stone, some of you probably listened to Perry Stone, uh, and there's some other ones that I think that are good Bible teachers, sound Bible teachers, because I like, I like Bible teaching. Even some of these individuals, when COVID had happened, and the effect that it had on our nation, and some of the things that we're, we're, uh, we're seeing working in the background politically and worldwide, they even were completely blown away and surprised at some of the end-time events that were happening at that moment that they didn't even see. Uh-huh. It's like, new to us. We actually predicted some things like this to happen, but we didn't know they were going to happen in America. We thought they were going to happen somewhere else, but it didn't. It happened here. So they were like, hey, it's up for grabs. We don't know what the Lord's doing. We have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know. And so I think if, if those individuals have question marks and have actually been enlightened and taught themselves, I think... Um, I think we got a lot of learning, a lot of learning to do. So with that said, there are some great points to make in this, this uh, conversation that we're going to have this morning. Um, under Let's Get Started, the book of Revelation records the end of this world and uh, thus the conclusion of the gospel message. Thus it provides us with great hope for the future. It is important, though, that we focus on the things we can know, even as we do not get caught up in meaningless or continuous debates over minor facts. I think that's important. I think that's important, and that's that's what I was referring to between open-handed and close-handed kind of conversations and the way that we talk about those, not just amongst unbelievers, but amongst ourselves. Some some of you see, uh, especially, I'll, and I'll give you an example. Uh, there's a lot of debate, even in the Pentecostal realm, about is this, are we going to have, a, do we believe in the rapture? Do we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture? Do we believe in a mid-tribulation rapture? Do we believe in a post-tribulation rapture? There are all different types of belief systems and people who will support their idea with particular scriptures and timelines and all these things. But once again, it comes back to that. Does that ultimately matter in the, in the lifestyle that I live and how I live for Christ? The answer is no. It doesn't. I'm not living for Christ with an idea that he is going to get me out of here when everything gets bad. That, that's, that's a, to me, that's a bad way of looking at it. Because then I'm basing all of, uh, of the things that are going on on, well, you know, God will get me out of here before it gets too bad. I don't really have any scripture base to tell you whether it's going to be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. I got no idea. I got no idea. All I know is that I'm supposed to be prepared. All I know is I'm supposed to have my wicks, my wick trim, and my oil ready. That's what I've been told. With that, with that, I know that my uh, my responsibility as a believer 
has to stay centered on the cross in Christ. It's got to stay centered on him. I tell you, it's easy. Man, I'll get up, you know, you you get you talk to another Christian that doesn't believe quite like you believe, we'll get a little sideways. I can't believe they believe that. Where did they get that information? I've and I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you this morning. I have found myself getting upset about people believing certain things and then realize that I didn't even have full information to back up my own theory. Come on. Which is kind of weird. I'm mad at somebody because they don't believe my theory that I actually don't even have any facts to back up. That's kind of weird. But we, we, and I'm not saying that you've done that, but as Christians, sometimes we will. We'll, we'll go to the ends of the earth to defend a viewpoint or a perspective, but not even, it not even necessarily be a biblical staple. Maybe it's up for debate. And there's no reason for us to lose our salvation over something that's a good conversation. Go ahead, Stace. <clears throat> what what tribulation when when people just go or what's it I'm sorry I'm I, I'm not tribulation right rapture rapture that's not even a true Bib- statement Bible biblically it's true. said in the Bible it's true and, and a lot of Christians would disagree with that sure. they would but that's true they would say they'd fight you tooth and nail okay <laughs> It's like what you were saying, your theory, well, a hypothesis in, in, in science is okay. considered a, uh, a educational guess. Right. Okay. Uh, or, or, or hypothesis on a situation. So that's, that's just twisting it, twisting it. Well, this is the way this particular... Uh, chemistry test worked and we come up with this because of that test right so pretty much the but there's not even a test it's someone's belief yeah exactly that's that's almost like a test in progress right and and i and that's that's the point right there we won't know (laughs) until it's over yeah and i i don't think i'm not 100 sure i don't think that when it is over, that I'm going to go around and saying, I told you so. Yeah. <laughs> right, I told you right, so. Right. I don't think anyone's going to be thinking that. Uh-uh. I don't One think. Thing. That. That's the only thing I'm going to be thinking about. Praise God. Where's he at? Praise you, Jesus. We made Christ, it. Lord. There. We made it. That's yeah. the only thing that I'm going to be thinking about. I'm not going to care whether I was right, whether I was Amen. wrong. It made no Who difference is? to me. I just made it home. And that's yeah. all that's going to matter. Well, all the things in the Bible, you know, about catching away of the church, even though rapture is not in the Bible, it mm-hmm. is the rapture because it said it would be quicker than a twinkling of yeah. an eye. Yeah, quick. Uh, but uh, if if God would have meant for us to understand all of it, he would have put it in there. He'd have made sure that we understood so, it in detail. So, uh, all we need to know is there is going to be an end, and we need to be ready. That's it right there. And I was actually going to make that point. There is going to be an end. There is an end to it. How it's going to ultimately come about, we don't know. I, and I've been discussing this with a lot of Christians lately, is timeline. Do I, do I agree with the fact that we are in the end times? Absolutely. But if you want to actually go back, we've been in the end times for quite some time. Uh, there, there's been quite a few things that have happened in the early 1900s that really kicked off the ultimate end time events. 
how long will those last? Nobody really knows. Nobody knows. God has got a numbers and he does a lot of different things. And obviously he's, uh, he's the supreme intelligence. Uh, he knows what he's doing and he understands his timeline. I don't understand this timeline. Um, as far as living in the last days and how long those things last, that goes once again back to being prepared for the end, being prepared for the end and not so much the particulars. Um, will he come? I mean, how many times have you seen, and, I, and I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta get going on this, but how many times have you seen over the years, let's say, I, and it's, the span is kind of, it's kind of spotty, but people that said, uh, or some minister, or so-called minister said, the, earth, the, the world is gonna end on this date. Do you remember, how many of you remember Y2K? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Y2K, y'all remember that? Yeah. I remember churches that were prep zones for the Y2K, and there were huge signs. I remember this because I was working at the plant, and churches were set up. And I'm not, I'm not saying that anybody was wrong. I'm not even making fun of anybody. I'm just simply saying that there was a huge majority of people that were saying, this is it. This thing is coming to an end. We are at the end. And you remember what Y2K was about. It was all about the computer deal. Yeah. The whole thing is going to fall. We're going to have a huge fallout. Everything's going to go to, to pot, and, and we're all going to be in dire straits. And the next morning, nothing happened. And the next day, nothing happened. And people had predicted it. And there have been other dates that people had said since then, but nothing ever happened. Mm. And he still goes, he goes back to that scripture. You know, nobody knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man coming. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows. And that's, that's a close-handed conversation. We're not, we don't need to talk about that. He's going to come. How he's going to do it. And in the time frame he's going to do it is another story. Oh, man, like they're so smart. Yes. Or they're not. They don't understand nothing. We don't get it, no. And, uh, I agree. Uh, in 2000, you know, when, when it turned over, they, oh, everything's going to be messed up. And I, I told Linda, I said, there ain't nothing going to happen. <laughs> I said, God ain't going to tell you when something's going to happen. Right. All, all that's going to happen is going to change from one, uh, one year to the next. It's right. going to be in the in the 2000s to the 1900s. Yes. And, uh, well, I, what I was going to say before that, uh, you know, people, we live by sight. We don't, we don't, you know, we live by faith, not sight. Sure. And, and if we knew all this, but one thing you can do in Revelations is know that it's not written in line. So you have to move this over here mm -hmm. and over there and, yep. and get it in line there where you can understand it because if you just go through there and read it, no, you're not going to understand it. No, because no. it's not it's not it's not wrote in there like Jesus is coming. Right. Yeah. It's Matthew, not Mark, yeah, Luke, and John. Like literal. It's not wrote in there like yeah. that. Absolutely. It's wrote just as he seen it. He didn't see this mm -hmm. uh, second or third part at the first. Mm -hmm. uh, you know where it's supposed to be at the second or third place. Yeah. He seen it in the first place. Yeah. And Absolutely. He, you know, it's not all in line. No, you've got you've got to study to really understand any of it. Yeah, you but really like do. You said, Kish we'll symbolism. No, we won't. There. That's a good point. Let's go ahead and move to that next paragraph. It says many numbers may have significance to us that are not significant to others. As we read the Bible, particularly the Book of Revelation, it is clear that certain numbers are important to the unfolding of God's word, and He uses the, uh, those numbers to communicate with us. While we don't, under, don't understand everything about those numbers or other details about Revelation, we know that, uh, that God has made a marvelous plan to redeem us from this fallen world. 
In addition, there are important truths that we can glean from these numbers, even as we recognize that we will not know all of the answers about God's plan while we live in this world. Okay, now I opened up my Bible, and you don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll actually, we're going to read our scripture, so you can turn the page. I'll, I'm going to read you the scripture. It's obviously one that I hold on, uh, that I, I recognize as having a lot of uh, clout in my life. And so it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 9. It says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, and I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now, we see through a glass darkly. But then, face to face, and now I know in part, but then I know, even as I also am known, and now abides faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these, obviously, is love. The, the obvious gist of those scriptures is that right now, the only thing that you have the ability to do is see things in portions and pieces. That's all you have the ability to do. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 9. Now, there, now let me say this also, that I'm not taking that out of context. If you look at that, those scriptures within that context, it's talking about love, love never failing. Um, but the principle of seeing things partially is true. You always see things partially. Um, dreams and visions, no different, same way. You always see things partially. You don't, no, very rarely is anything ever given like literally. Like you get it, it's like, okay, God just spoke this to me, and this is exactly what's going to happen. That actually is very rare. And I've even happened, had it happen in my own life where God has spoken something to me, and I took it literal. Then I found out it was, there was a bit of symbolism to it. And it did happen. But it didn't happen the way I was thinking. And I got upset. <laughs> and, and I got off track. I got sidetracked because I did not understand that part of Scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. That the only, the only thing that I can experience here is everything in part. And this, the, the Bible says that the only time we'll ever be able to have a full understanding is when that which is full comes back. That's the only time we're going to really get it. Like, oh, okay. I get it now. All things will, I, think, I truly believe all things will be explained. Um, you know, it's just, my, it's just my own theory about this. I believe in heaven there will still be learning. Okay. I, I truly believe that. I still believe that there will be learning. Learning about who the Father is, is is something that I don't think will ever end, ever. I think it will always continue. Because you think about the joy that we have about learning about him. I don't think you're going to get to heaven. I believe that there'll be some questions, some things that are obvious that will be answered for you, like things that have been spoken about about heaven. I believe there'll be a glad reunion day that's been promised to you, right? There's a lot of emphasis on the, the reunion and being with Christ. I always look at that and think, I think that the Bible's also giving us a bit of hint about the emphasis of what's going to be going on. Not just this, you know, hold on a second, I've got a checklist. And you're just going to go down that checklist and get the answer. I have all those questions answered. I think a lot of that's going to be in the rearview mirror. I'm like, you're going to ask a kid. It's one of the most beautiful things. You talk to a kid about what they would ask God in heaven. And I hear all kinds of stuff. And it's amazing. I'd ask him if the Loch Ness Monster was real. And I love that. I think it's so beautiful. And we were like that at one time. But the questions, the questions just changed. Well, I want to ask God about why people die early. I want to ask my I want to ask him why 
why that person that I held so dear to me, why, that, why we lost them like that, why we lost them tragically. I don't think that question's gonna come up like that. I think you'll get it answered, but it's probably not gonna be the way that you're thinking. It's not gonna be this debate face-off thing, you know, like you're gonna face off with God and you're gonna say, I need answers. I think it's gonna happen like that. I think when we get to see what, when he fully makes his, and when we see him in fullness, I think a lot of questions will get answered that we need answered, but we will continue to learn about him forever. And, and personally, you know, I'm not sure any of that's going to make much of a difference when you're there. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I and I know a bunch of you've probably seen the Men in Black. I think it's going to be a flash, just like that. Yep. New body. Mm-hmm. We're there. However long you stay on your face in front of God. Mm-hmm. And then, not going to matter. Yeah. I, it's just merely speculation when I say this, and, I'm, and I can't go off of my experience, so when I share these, this with you, this is what I heard. I heard somebody say this. Sounds pretty accurate to me. Um, a lady, um, she had given her account of drowning in a kayak accident. And she was, um, her, I guess her kayak turned upside down. I re- actually, you know when you're not supposed to read, you're not supposed to read the books in the store, but I was reading the book in the store. <laughs> I got the book and I've got it pulled out and I'm like looking and I'm just, I'm just kind of thumbing through it. And I'm reading. Well, anyway, she, she has this kayak accident and she said she was under, she said, I remember it flipping upside down. And this, what she said was a common denominator that I've heard other people say. She said, when I actually died, I didn't even know that it had even happened. Amen. She said, I didn't, I didn't know. She said, one minute I was upside down, the next minute I was, I had left my body and I was leaving. And she said, as I looked, I see my husband and my kids grabbing the kayak and flipping it back over and taking me and putting me on the shore and doing CPR. And she said, I'm seeing them working, trying to, to to bring me to life and she said there were angels that greeted me they come there and they said let's go you're coming with us and they said it was, it was very and it was almost she said I had imagined something different it was almost nonchalant and obvious like you're supposed to come with us come on let's go it's like uh and she said I look back down and she and the angel said they'll be fine if everything's okay and she said no no I'm supposed to stay here so she said, I literally went down and laid in my body trying to get myself to go back in it. Yep. She said it didn't, work, it didn't work that way. Now, now this is just her story. I'm just giving her account. She said, they, the angels kept beckoning. Come on, come with us. They said they didn't, they weren't begging. They weren't, they didn't grab me. They said, come on. And I felt this pull like I'm supposed to go with them. And she said, but I noticed something. When they started praying, it's like a magnet. She said, I felt a magnet begin to like pull me back into my body. It was like a, like a vacuum. And she was like, the more they prayed, my spirit would be like, ah, like, wow. I feel like this magnetism to come back to my body again. They're praying. And she said, the angel said, no, you're supposed to come with us. They'll be fine. So she said, I, I went 
with them. It seemed like the natural thing to do. And she said, all of a sudden, we are coming up to some gates. She goes, I couldn't tell you how it all come about. I'm just, I know we're walking up to some gates. And she said, I knew that that was an entryway, not the main entryway, but an entryway. She says, that's all I can tell you. And she said, all of us, and the angels were like really happy. They were very excited. They were saying, you're going to be, you're just going to love it. This is fantastic. They were just really encouraging, really encouraging. And she said, I actually forgot about my family. All the, the worrying about them, it was gone. All worry about what was going to happen on earth, gone. Didn't even, that wasn't even a, a thought. She said, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the angels, they stopped. Like they heard, they were like, like they heard something. And they said, it's time for you to go back. She goes, no, 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 wait, I, I'm here. They said, you can't stay. He says, it's not time. And she said, like a vacuum. Bam. She said, right then, I opened up my eyes. She said, I'm laying on the ground, coughing up water. CPR works. Pull me Prayer. back into my body again. Prayer. Prayer. So, whether you believe that or not, it's up to you. Very interesting story. And the reason I share that, and I was talking to my kids about this the other day, because I think that that is the thing for Christianity, that's always the thing that, that catches people in between. Is they're like, what is it going to be like when I die? Well, you know, what's, what's this experience going to be like? Well, from what I can tell, not just from her story, but from other sources, people that I've heard, you don't even really experience it because he took the sting of death away. It's, it's gone. And so there's almost not even a divider there. It's like when it happens, you didn't even know that it even had happened. And then we're there. And so I say that because that's encouraging to me. Um, and and to, to get all the way, I, I try to put myself in her shoes. I'm like, oh, you were so close. You were right at the gate. I mean, I would have wanted just, just let me, will you let me knock. Let me knock and see if somebody opens it. Let's just let me peek inside and see what I can see. Of course, we've heard other stories of people experiencing heaven. But uh, it was a very interesting story, and there's, she actually wrote a book. There's a book after it. So, well, If you want to talk to somebody that's been dead, talk, talk to Jimmy Dole. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember he, he shared that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He died. He really did. Mm -hmm. he, he was already gone out of his body, and then they brought him back, and that's all he knows about it. Right. That's he amazing. Was on, he was on the hospital bed. Yeah. Okay, let's get into some scripture. I've been I've been playing around a little bit too long, so let's. Uh, oh, yeah. Good conversation, though. Good conversation. Who wants to read? I'm just going to leave it up out in the open here. Oh, Stacy's poking here. Okay. If you, if you don't mind, yes, no, that'd be great. <laughs> Revelation one four. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from. Him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the Lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and on the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in the white and 
and white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666. Okay. Thank you. Very good. All right. Part one, the seven spirits of God. The number seven describes many things in Revelation. Churches, spirits, lampstands, stars, seals, horns, eyes, angels, trumpets, heads of the dragon, golden bowls, and kings, among other things. The number is usually used to indicate fulfillment or perfection. So the seven spirits refers to the spirit of God in his complete perfection. And that's so so we understand that seven is the number of perfection, all right? So we, we know and we know that. That's one thing that you always have you gotta keep in mind when you're reading Revelation, is that a, a big majority of it is symbolism and you have to research numbers and and god is a to say he would be a mathematician would be cutting him short he was the inventor of the mathematician let's put it that way so so he's he's supreme being high high intelligence and listening and i'm only referring to this can't say that i know this myself listening to people who have studied the word of god in the numbers in depth are totally blown away at the sequence of numbers that he puts together and was able to put together throughout humanity's existence. Numbers pointing to other numbers, which pointed to timelines, which pointed to answers that people had. If they'd have been mathematicians, they would have got it, but we're not. He is, and he gets it. And so there's, there's, anytime he starts mentioning numbers, there's great significance in it. Whether we fully understand it or not is a different story. In his letter to Sardis, Revelation 3.1, John referred to the seven spirits of God who are connected with the seven stars, who represent seven angels or messengers to the seven churches in chapter 2 these messengers may be pastoral church leaders or even angels assigned to guard the churches in either case we have the fullness of the spirit engaged in rousing the church of Sardis out of sleep so you know I want to stop right there said that they were uh, uh, let me see I know your deeds you have a reputation of being alive but you are dead and he said that this was used to rouse them out of sleep. One of the things that I'm seeing right now, regardless of the way that you view this from a, from a church perspective in Western culture, is that I'm seeing God making a huge attempt to wake the church up out of sleep. Some would debate that. Some would say the church has never been more awake. I would disagree with that simply from the angle that the, um, the, the importance of sin and the ramifications of doing that are not the center point nor is the cross in christ we've talked about this many times you can't make the cross in christ your centerpiece and not repent of your sin 
It makes absolutely no sense because that's why he went to the cross. Amen. Well, so he could pay the price for sin. So if, if you're going to talk about one, you've got to talk about the other. But what I'm seeing is that there's people are, have been trying to unpack that. They're trying to pull that apart. Like we, want, we don't want to talk about hell. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about any of that stuff. But we want to talk about a God that loves us. Okay. Uh-huh. You're, you're, you're only taking the parts that sound good. That sounds really good to just talk about a God that loves you all the time. And, and I mean, if, that's, if, if your pastor agreed with that, I'm not the pastor. If our pastor agreed with that, then every message that you got would just be about how good God is and how good his love is. Now, he may walk in here today and preach a message on love and God's goodness. He might, but that would be an unction of the Spirit. I know he's led by the Spirit, but here's, here's the thing. We cannot have a conversation about Christ and not talk about what he paid the price for. You can't just say, you can't even say it like this. Let me say it like this. You can't even say, he went to the cross for me. I've heard that kind of terminology. Eh, yeah, he went to the cross for you, but there was an actual reason. Like there was something, there was a penalty to actually be paid. Mm-hmm. Amen. And he paid the penalty. To term it loosely and to say, Christ went to the cross for me, eh, yeah, but you're missing some pretty big hot-button topics there. We need to actually go talk about why he went to the cross. Yes. And that, that there was a sacrificial system in place up to that point so much of a sacrificial system that it demanded that something be sacrificed in order to make atonement. And a lot of people don't know that. They don't know the history of that. They don't, they don't get that there was an actual sacrificial system, and it's been that way since uh, Cain and Abel. There was a sacrificial system in place. I mean, think about it. Why was God upset with Cain? He didn't bring the, the proper thing. So there was a sacrificial system in place even back then. You can see the... So it's always been that way. It's always been in place. The, the thing that we have to understand is, is that when God, you know, when God puts something into, into play and, you know, how do I say this? He's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's going to do it. And when he sets something up, he has full intention that you and I pay it, you know, open our eyes to it and not be asleep. And I think that's what we're seeing now is that God is making an attempt to wake the church up. So well, what, is, what have we been asleep to? I believe we've been asleep to sin. Amen. I believe some things have crept into the overall church that has uh, harmed us and hurt us. I believe, you've heard me say this, if you was here Wednesday night, you, you'd uh, hear me talk about some of the, the things that I think that we're dealing with and that we need to have, we don't need another revival, we need a truth revival. A revival based on truths. Truths that are evident in your own individual lives. That's where re- Do you know that that's where revival starts? It's about individuals coming to um, the conclusion about things that are going on in their own lives and being totally honest with themselves. Mm-hmm. The church needs a truth revival. If we were to have, if we were to have, this just, this just me going off the things that I've seen over the years, I think if you have an atypical Pentecostal revival, you won't have it for very long. Because people won't stay hooked. People tell people always say that, that they'll say, "Why, why don't we see the altars full anymore?" Well, it's because I believe people are avoiding the truth. The truth. You say, well, they're they're here in church though. No, I, you can you can have a knowledge of Jesus and be dodging the truth your whole life. Amen. Be dodging pain. Be dodging injuries internally. Be dodging. Uh, things and trying to get around them 
I believe that the church needs a truth revival. I believe if the church has a truth revival, a full revival in truth, about the truth about themselves, truth about where they're at, truth about our need for God, truth, then I believe that those atypical revivals will come back again. But not until there's a truth revival. There's no way we could even hold one down right now. And that's just, that's just me. That, that, might be, that might be something that people don't want to hear, but I've seen too much to tell me otherwise. The season has changed. We're not living in the same season anymore. Uh, our environment has changed. Something is going to have to take place in order to get things back on track again. So, uh, what was I at? Sorry. Um, in his letter to Sardis, John referred to the seven spirits of God who are connected with the seven... I already read that, didn't I? Sorry. Uh, last paragraph, that it says, In the next occurrence of the seven spirits, John took the reader to God's heavenly throne, describing a scene of celestial splendor, majesty, and glory. A revelation of divine splendor is seen in the language of theophany, the appearance of a divine divinity to a human. What theophany means is actually having a supernatural experience, like manifested right there in front of you. Flashes of lightning, perils of thunder, and fire all serve to remind us of God's awesome presence on Mount Sinai. Okay, Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 can help us understand the seven spirits of God. Isaiah saw the coming of the Messiah as someone clearly marked by the Holy Spirit. The descendant of David would be would be anointed by the Spirit of the Lord. What follows is a concept equivalent to the seven spirits of God in that it describes someone who is characterized by the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He will, pos he will possess wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. Who, who, who is this referring to? It's referring to the Messiah. It's referring to Jesus and what his, what his characteristic would be when he was here. It would, did he possess wisdom, understanding, counsel, strength, knowledge, and did he honor his father? On all accounts, he did. In 2 Peter 1, 2-3, Peter declared that God's divine power has uh, given us everything we need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit delivers the down payment for our eternal inheritance. I actually like the way that's worded. The Holy Spirit then is not some inanimate force, but a divine person of the Godhead. Can we agree with that? Amen. Yes. I had this conversation with my kids the other night. Um, the, the two younger ones went to go grandma's, and so I sat down with with my children, and I just we just had a, a conversation about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's role is, what uh, what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is that we should desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the things that is lacking in the church today in the church today is not only fillings of the Holy Spirit, but use of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, which were given to the church for full use. We're, we're, the church is lacking that nowadays. You think, eh, that's not that big of a deal. I don't know. Here's the thing. If you give us something and the intended arm is using, if we don't use it, what are the ramifications? What, regardless of the way you feel about it. So I just, you know, regardless of your opinion, take, take your opinion and move it to the side. What happens if God gives us something, he states it in his word, this is for you, go use it, and we don't use it? Does it fall under disobedience? It's possible, especially if we know better. And I think that's a, that's a big one. And I'm, not, I'm calling myself on the carpet on that one, church. It's having knowledge and then not actually executing it when we know that we should. And so... 
had this conversation with them about the Holy Spirit, about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and about desiring to be close to the Holy Spirit. And I just made it plain. I said, the Holy Spirit is my friend. And that kind of, that kind of makes people feel uncomfortable. They're like, no, Jesus is your friend. No, Jesus is my intermediator between me and the Father. Yes, is he, a, is he a friend friend? Yeah, because it's the Trinity and it's the Godhead. But if you really want to cross T's and dot I's, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, when you go to prayer at night, who are you talking to? You're talking to God the Father. Jesus is in heaven. He paid the price. He's by side. The Bible says he's at the right hand of the Father now. Making what? Intercession. 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 It's not, you understand something. It's not like this, like this verbal intercession for every individual. It was covenant-based. So one act put him beside the Father as intermediator and inter intercessor for you and me. One act. That was it. That's what put him there. So I, told, I, I, explained to my, I explained to the kids. I said, I need you to understand this because the Holy Spirit often gets forgotten about. He gets the short end of the stick. Nobody talks about him. And what I have found is, is that he is the one that is here on this planet. He's here. If you feel chill bumps, if you get an inspiration, if you hear an odd language being spoken in tongues, these are all him. So why wouldn't I want to pay attention to him? Why wouldn't I want to, why wouldn't I want to recognize that he exists? Because he does. So it's one, of the, it's one of those things, church. We talk about, the, we talk about, the, the, um, we talk about what God did by sending his son, but not a lot of talk is given about the Holy Spirit. That's not a conversation that a lot of people want to have. And what I'm seeing now is that they have pulled, pulled them apart. The Holy Spirit is that kind of unknown thing that nobody really talks about. We're not really going to talk about him. But God the Father and the Son, they're, they're, we put them up where they should be. But we take the Holy Spirit and we put him down. You cannot do that with the Trinity. You can't. It's impossible. The Holy Spirit goes with them. So if we're going to talk about God the Father and God the Son, then we also got to talk about the Holy Spirit. And that might, that might push some of us to study in a different way and say, okay, maybe I need to go in and study this Holy Spirit and try to find out what this, this individual is about. Because I, I tell you, church, that it says it right here. He's not some inanimate force, but a person. Did you know the Holy Spirit is a person? Did you know the Holy Spirit has feelings? Amen, come on. Did you know that you can, you can hurt him? The Bible says that we grieve the Holy Spirit out of disobedience. That means, what does that mean? You hurt his feelings. You hurt him. In my own experience, I have found him to be the most sensitive individual that I've ever dealt with. He is, he is very much about encouraging you and lifting you up, but when he is done wrong, it hurts his feelings. I have felt it in my spirit. It's like, I grieved him. I grieved the Holy Spirit. And, and, and look, just look at it biblically. We've all been guilty of that at one time or another. I think the question is, is what am I doing that's grieving the Holy Spirit and how can I avoid that? Because he's the one that said he would reveal all truth to me and his desire is to bring you closer to the Father. So guess what? If you've ever prayed the prayer, God, bring me closer to you, God looks at the Holy Spirit and he goes, help him out. But if you don't want to have nothing to do with the Holy Spirit, how do you think that's going to go down? It's going to be kind of hard. <laughs> It's going to be real hard to get closer to the Father if you don't think the Holy Spirit has anything to do with anything. If you don't think he has any part in this or if you think that he's something 
that was left uh, out of the uh, spiritual equation a long time ago. No, no ma'am, no sir. He's very, very important in this encounter. So Paul told us to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. He concluded by saying, since we live by the Spirit, let us uh, keep in step with the Spirit. What Spirit are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, what do you think they were talking about there? Do you think that that spirit was used superficially? Like, like a, almost like spirits like in ether kind of out there. It's out there somewhere. Yeah, we're going to keep in step with the, the spirit like, like the spiritual realm? No. The reference is actually to the third part of the Trinity, the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Well, when Jesus was going to be crucified when he told his disciples that there will be someone coming to comfort them and be with them. The Holy Spirit, it lives in you. That, mm -hmm. That's a spirit in Absolutely. you. Absolutely. That is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That's part of God. Yep. Part of it. So that's your connection to, if you didn't have the Holy Spirit, God don't hear your prayers. Right. You gotta have you it. Don't have, and then you don't have Jesus Nope. Yeah, there, it all works that, together. You're right. I mean, that's your that's your cell phone tower. Yeah. God. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, if you don't have it. Yeah. Okay. God. You know. I mean, everybody knows what. You know. You got your cell phone. That's your Holy Spirit. The tower is Jesus, and mm -hmm. you know, it's it's you got to connect all three, or you this thing's not working. Right. No, and and, and that's it goes. It really does, it kind of goes back to what we, you know, we talked about at the beginning about close-handed and open-handed conversations. That when it comes to the, the Godhead and the importance of all three, the Trinity, that's a, that's a close-handed conversation. There, there's, if there's a lack, it's on my part. It's, it's on my part for not fully understanding it and fully getting it. I think there's too much generalization now in church. There's too much generalization about who you're talking to, who you're praying to, um, that there's too much generalization, and what happens is, is in that process, we start pushing certain things out because we're like, well, I, I, I've never really had any encounter with the Holy Spirit, so I guess that's not really important, right? Wrong. It's very important that we know the Holy Spirit's role in all of this. All right, so let's keep going. So the Christian life is life in the Spirit. Okay, that's true. Cultivate that life. What's cultivate mean? If you cultivate something, if you're growing a garden, what do you cultivate? What are you Taking doing? Taking care of it. Take care of it. Grow it. Watering it. Yeah. Fertilizer. Cultivate your life in Christ. Listen to the voice of the Spirit. Okay, that's a really good one. That's a statement. It ended with a period, not a question mark. So, so it, let's just, let me throw this out there. So if, if we're going to listen to the Spirit, the first question that you're going to ask is, what am I listening for? What am I listening for? There's something I've, you know, I've noticed throughout the years is that God will always make attempts to make contact and speak with his children. Always. What I found was is that I'm particular about the conversations that I have with him. Which, when that happens, is I limit him on him being able to speak to me. I limit him. It says, the lesson is saying to listen to the voice of the Spirit. A lot of times the Spirit will come to us and make an attempt to talk to us, but we're, we're not hot about the conversation that he's trying to bring up. So we block it. Oh, that couldn't, no, that's not God. That's not God. God wouldn't talk to me about that. He might. The Holy Spirit is trying to, he's the, remember church, the Holy Spirit is the, 
He's the force. He's the individual whose responsibility is to, to minister to you and to bring you to what? All truths. Amen. That's what he's, he's, what he's working for. 24-7. That's why I told my daughter the other day. I said, do you realize that the Holy Spirit is working 24-7? He never stops working to bring you closer to God. Amen. Never stops. All the time. Yeah, you said cultivate. Well, the way you cultivate in this life is uh, through the Word. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. It, it tells us to search yourself out. Yeah. we got to cultivate yourself with the Word. Because if we don't, we ain't going to... We ain't going to grow without the Word. No, you can't grow. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. we got to have that. Okay, let me finish this out. Study the Word of truth and heed it. The Spirit has come to deliver all the blessings of salvation. Absolutely. Okay. Now, I want to do something. I've got about eight minutes here I'm, I'm working with here. I actually want to skip section two. That might seem heresy to some people, but we need to go to section three. Let's go to section three. And let's do Mark of the Beast. Maybe heresy is not the right way to put it. So sorry. <laughs> People have tried to identify the beast as the numerical equivalent of some Roman emperor, but have failed. By attaching numbers to the letters of the Greek alphabet, there is simply no possible conclusion to be made. So what do we know about the beast and this mark of identification 666? Okay, so obviously, biblically, this is something that we need to be aware of. What I actually want to call to your attention is our behavior, just like I did last week, about the church's behavior when it comes to this particular mark. The church, kind of bad at times, we attach that number to people. We'll see things coming and we'll say, this, this, uh, this, uh, somebody done some math on this and there's 666 behind it. And somebody did this over there and they seen that there's 666 on this. And I think it's funny and I think, well, hold on a second. There's only going to be one event, Okay. But why is it as the church we're so quick to point out all of these things and we attach them to people? Uh -huh. I'm not saying that the spirit of Antichrist isn't present. That's obvious. It's present. But as the church, we have to be careful about the way that we present ourselves. And instead of going around and pointing fingers and saying, it's over here, and it's over here, and it's over here. I got so tired of that, I just shut it off. I'm sick and tired of people telling me that every time they turn around, Christian people... I've seen they're starting the mark of the beast over here. And they're starting the mark of the beast over here. There could be one event. There could be one. And, and this is a, when, when, when they're talking about this on a biblical, uh, biblically, this is on a worldwide scale. Are they quite, am I certain that they're setting this thing up? It's being set up in order for this to take place? Yes, I do. But as church people, no different than last week, I, I said the church needs to be do better about who we accuse of being the Antichrist. I think that's bad for us, bad imagery. Every time somebody comes down the pipe that we don't agree with, it's got to be the Antichrist. Oh, that's not good representation. That's not good for that's not a good image for us. What do, you, what do you think that they how do you think they view us from the other side? We're trying to be an example, and every time somebody does something, well, you're the Antichrist. Whoa, hold on a second. No. And we also need to be careful about how we attribute 666 also. I think a lot of it comes from fear and I think you're right. lack of knowledge. I think you're right. I mean, if you, if you don't have the knowledge, of course you're going to be fearful of it. Yeah. But if, if you have more knowledge of it, I don't think that you're going to be pointing fingers of, you know. I, mean, I, I, I think that's a good point, too. And, and 
I think the fear aspect of it is, is a big deal because there is so much that we don't know. And so the first emotion, when we see some sort of evidence, anything at all, is that the first emotion is, is they're trying to slip one in on us. They're going to they're gonna try, they're going to mark me and I'm not going to know it. And I think that that's the, that's what it is. So um, there are a lot of things there, church. And like I said, when we, we, when we end this lesson, I'm not going to be able to give you those kind of answers. There's still going to be a lot of question marks, but this is a good conversation to have. It says, the beast personifies Satan, indeed, who mocks Christ. Uh-huh. Those like who follow the beast will bow in worship. Now, the Bible talks about this, uh, the Antichrist personifying Satan. And that's one thing I want to make sure that we're understanding of is that is the spirit of Antichrist present to the point where we're seeing people operate along these lines? Yes, but there will only be one Antichrist. Amen. Okay? It can't be every political figure that comes down the pipe. It can't be. It's got it's one person and one person only. And this person will be so significant that they will literally have worldwide domination. Now, we're not there yet, okay? It'll happen at some point, but we're not there yet. So because of that, I'm not going to try to preemptively identify the Antichrist before he's identified. I don't think that's good. And this is a very... To, to take the mark, do not have that's that is not something you can just be held down and given. Right. You have to take it. It's a choice. That's so. Yeah, there, there's a choice there. And let me make a point on that. Let me just keep reading. Note that the beast worshippers call out words that parallel those used in praise in uh, the used to praise the true God when He delivered Israel. John invited readers to calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, 666. A humble response might be to admit that the identity of the beast may only become clear during the tribulation. That's a good assessment. That's a very good assessment. That's a, that's a very logical assessment. You may not, we may not fully understand until somewhere in the tribulation. But if you're a preacher believer, then I guess you don't have to worry about it. That was a, a joke. We've been talking about this. When these events occur... What we do know is that only those who align themselves with the beast and take his mark will have access to economic markets ensuring their loyalty. So we, biblically we know that the idea is to set up an economy where the people, only people that have the mark will have the ability to buy, sell, and trade. And so that's something that I think also strikes fear in people is because they're like, well, what's going to happen? The events that... that happened recently in America with COVID and worldwide, I believe have definitely sparked that conversation about everybody having some sort of an identification. Uh, now they want to mark people um, that are vaccinated or unvaccinated. That stirs up a lot of stress in people. Uh, there's a lot of things that I think that are being done to set this up, but it has not come yet. And, and really, if you want to get into the biblical aspect of it, the Bible actually says, when you notice these signs, the end has not come yet. This is not, this is not the end, but this is the beginning of sorrows. Amen. So the Bible, how the Bible identifies that. So I honestly believe that's kind of where we're at. We're somewhere in there. Um, okay, and then this last paragraph, the beast appears again in Revelation 14. Those who follow him are destined for judgment. In the presence of angels and the Lamb, they will experience God's anger and be tormented with fire. We live in the world, but must not live like the world. Very true. Such a life leads to judgment. Let us determine not to get caught up in the spirit of this world. In 1 John 2, 18 and 4, 3, we may see that many deceivers would seek to lead us astray. 
deceivers who have the spirit of Antichrist, there's that spirit of Antichrist, may we resolve today to reject the influence of this evil spirit? Okay, and that's, that's I, I will give the lesson this, that's a great conclusion, because it brings out the fact that we are dealing with the spirit of Antichrist, and the best thing that you can do right now is simply resolve to reject it. You can do that. You have the ability to do that. Uh, as far as the details, I think we're going to just simply have to trust God about when all these things take place and how it all happens. Uh, can I give you an assurance that there's going to be a, a pre-tribulation rapture and everybody's going to get to get out of here before time? No, I can't guarantee that. I don't know when it's going to happen. I just know at some point it's going to happen. I'm out of time, guys. God bless you guys. Thanks. Thank you.